Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. You know, we're talking today with Dr. Steve Steph about leading change in our workplace. And I've got a scripture for us before we get started. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. It's from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Author, speaker, and leadership expert, Dr. Steve Steph. Steve, wow. Steve Steph, welcome back to I Work For Him. Jim, thanks for having me back. Congratulations on your new show. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thanks for tolerating my rookiness. I appreciate your input in my life over these last couple of years as we've done many shows on I Work For Him. It is always exciting to have you back and talking about the latest and the greatest of what's going on in the leadership world, because each and every day you're feeding into the lives of leaders of great companies across the nation. So it's great to see, hey, what's working, what's not working. But before we get back to that, let's just hear what's going on. How's Christ making a difference in your life today? You know, that, uh, great question for me right this minute, right, right today, because my son and my daughter-in-law have just left our home here uh, in Boone, North Carolina, in the last 10 minutes. And I will tell you, just the blessing of being able to work as a family. I mean, you're familiar with our team, our company, and you know that my wife, Kathleen, is an integral part of it. Now, now our son uh, is, a, is a very, very integral part of it. And, you know, when the scriptures say count your blessings, count them one by one and count them every day, I am blessed beyond measure just in, in my work environment. 
how I wish everyone could say they are blessed like that in their work environment. But I am, and I know you are, truly blessed in my work environment. I thank God for that. You know, what's kind of funny is my father-in-law is fantastic at reminding me about this, but he always he, he started telling me this years ago. You know, Jim, if you, if you find a job that you love, you'll never go to work a day in your life. And there's been many jobs that I've had. They were work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were work. And, and getting on the radio each and every day, talking to my friends here in Tampa Bay and across the world. I mean, literally, we've got people that will be listening to this podcast in countries that will go unnamed because I think people could get in trouble for listening to me in those countries. People may get in yeah. trouble for listening to me here. But, you know, yeah. uh, what's incredible is that it is such a privilege to feed into the lives of people. And, yeah. and, and to challenge people in their faith as we go, as we connect it to our workplaces each and every day. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. No question. You know, today we're going to talk about leading change. And, and, and it's the leading, you know, change is one of those things where a lot of people go, yeah, I know we need to change, but most people will do everything they can to not change, whether it's in their personal lives, their corporate lives, their church lives. What kind of change are we talking about today? You and I have spent a lot of time in the last few months, really, uh, Jim, talking about corporate cultural change. That is, you know, how do we change our culture within our organization? And as as you know, transforming leadership, our our company, uh, that's what our primary focus is, not only working with the individuals to help them change to align with core values, but to help the organization itself change. And sometimes sometimes that's a total overhaul. You know, when you say, you know, corporate cultural change, that doesn't really mean much to people, but what, what's what's funny is that most people realize that change is necessary, but most people also think that they just that's the change is the thing they want to avoid the most. And exactly. and, and really, the I Work Rim show is all about the paradigm shift that requires a tremendous amount of change. The change where we we've operated most of our lives where our faith didn't intersect with our workplace, yep. and all of a sudden that change we're like, no, it, it definitely applies. So yep. when you're talking about corporate cultural change. That's that's radical transformation, and, and it's and it requires some some well some real specific steps. But why is corporate cultural change often very necessary? Well, it, it, it's not only necessary because the times you know I think a great song would the times they are changing, but 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 times are changing so quickly both techno, technologically and in every other way that just changing to keep up with it. one of our legacy companies company that I've been associated with for 18 years now is in the process of a merger with another organization of equal size so it's not a purchase it's not a takeover it is a merger so can you just imagine two 4,000 employee companies coming together and look at the change that those two organizations, now one organization, are going to experience over the next six months. You know, it's phenomenal. phenomenal. But it can be just as small as the department as well. Phenomenal, overwhelming. Uh, it's staggering all at one time. All right, today we're talking with author, speaker, and leadership expert, Dr. Steve Steff, about leading change in your organization. And the things we talk about today aren't just applicable to a monster organization. They're applicable right down to mom and dad changing an organization that's been the way it's been for 20 years. Change is change, whether it applies in your church, in your home, or in your workplace. Dr. Steve Steff, welcome back to I Work For Him. Thanks, Jim. Hey, it's time for our book highlight segment, and I want your help in this today because, of course, we're going to highlight your fantastic book, The Business Card. Steve, you wrote this book about a guy named Peter, 
and the transformation that happened in his life and in his workplace of over 500 employees. What what inspired this book? Uh, what inspired the book, Jim, was I was working on another book having to do with uh, chivalry, uh, uh, Christian chivalry, or the concept of Christian chivalry. I knew Peter's story, or I knew part of it, so I went down to get a first-hand interview, first-hand account with him, and I, I sat and listened to him and listened to his testimony of how his core values, the core values of his organization, printed on the back of his business card that is a global business, an international business, of the impact of that of that core value statement, it was phenomenal. And he, he just gave a story after story after story of how that core value statement had impacted people uh, just in the few years at that time, I think uh, four years or, or maybe even a little less, that they had been using it. And now it's going on about 70 years, and the impact is easily a global impact. One core value statement. Yeah, it's fantastic. you got to get a copy of this book, The Business Card, by Dr. Steve Steff. Call into the studio line now. We're giving away one copy today, 877-943-9673. That's 877-943-9673. And remember, you need to read this book. Don't wait for the movie. Okay, we missed that one. That's okay. It's okay. I'd sing it for you, but I'd sing it for you, but it's just not as much fun if I sing it. Okay, uh, yeah, There's, we, Ace we is already on the line with somebody. Somebody's calling already, so it's fantastic. Uh, so listen, let's Steve, the book that you read or that you wrote about Peter, uh, what I loved about that book so much was just how transparent he was with his people in admitting his mistakes as a leader in his organization. And then by his, 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 his inspiration that came from his three-day retreat, he... Yep. He, all of a sudden, he decided he really did corporate cultural change throughout his organization, and it was really putting his faith at the forefront of what he's doing. And so that's what we're really talking about today. We're talking with Dr. Steve Steff about leading cultural corporate cultural change in your workplace. Steve, you've you're an expert, as I consider, in leadership. How did transforming leadership, your organization, get to be an expert in this field? How did you get to be an expert in this? Well, you know. I've been working in a workplace as a counselor for over 20 years now. So, you know, I, I've kind of grown, I've gotten a white beard over that kind of thing. But in that process, I have seen so many organizations on the way up, so many organizations on the way down. And I've had the privilege of sitting back as a third party, you know, just to be able to to watch and, and see the impact of leadership on those organizations, both in good times and in bad. And then, more specifically, quite frankly, when I was doing my research and, and the, uh, the the background work for the book, the business card, is when I got so involved in the core values and the impact of core values on the organization, and you know, not, not to keep selling the business card book, but but when when Peter established their core values uh, and came before his crowd, had an all hands on deck meeting before his team there and, and announced what their core values were and how they were going to be driven throughout the organization. He really followed that same model that we have, well, that, that John Cotter uh, from Harvard Business School professes and, and that we followed so much in leading change. The first thing he did was establish urgency. And he said, you know, we're going through, our turnover is the highest in our industry. We're going through people, good people, so fast we don't even get their names down, and they've left already. So 
they reworked their core values. They they instilled real live, solid, tangible leadership concepts in there, and now they are the number one. They're the preferred workplace in their industry in the world. Well, and because let's, of their core values. Let's step back from that for a minute because what was really cool is, is Peter went to a, a three day silent retreat, and, exactly. and and he was and he and really just sought the Lord in all this. And what he realizes that. His faith, whether it was weak or non-existent or whatever it was, but it re- really wasn't impacting his workplace at all. It, 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 this, this was such a simple concept, Jim. He was simply asked, who is your neighbor? Right. Just that's a that's, that's simple question. Who is your neighbor? And he came to the realization that his neighbor extended right down to the people working on the floor in, in, his, in his manufacturing facility. And he realized that he had tons of people. He had no idea who they were. He didn't even know how to turn on the lights in the factory. Exactly. Uh, and, but So what happened is that the change in his life that God did, and this is something we talk about on the show all the time, when Jesus impacts a life, everything about them Every, everything about us, let's just make it personal. When Jesus impacted my life, when he impacted your life, Steve, nothing about us is up for, I mean, everything about us is up for grabs. Everything about us is changing. And and in, in Peter's life, he went on, everything about him started to change, in, including how we faced conflict with customers or complaints with customers. And it impacted his entire organization because all of a sudden people realized, wow, all of a sudden the owner cares. Well, let, let me back you up on that a moment, Jim, because I, I would agree almost completely with what you say. Everything in our life changes that we are willing to release to Jesus Christ. Amen. And if we're not willing to release it, to, I, I know I know men and women personally, Jim, that, that absolutely love the Lord, but for some reason they have not come to the realization that their workplace is Jesus' property just as much as their home is. And they have these workplace principles that they're just not going to shake. That's the way they grew up. That's what they were taught. So, so the result of that is they have not released that workplace to Jesus Christ. Right. Well, and I think you know. I think we all go through that though. As I committed my life to Christ, oh, yeah. there was many. There were many stages. There have been many stages, and there's still many to come. Where, where all of a sudden, you know, I, I walked with the Lord for a number of years, and all of a sudden I realized, you know, I never really turned over my wallet. Then I walked with the Lord for a number of years, and I, then I started turning over my workplace, which is where the vision for I yep. work for Him came from. It was just been piece by piece by piece. Uh, you know, and then as you raise children and then they grow up, you know, you have to realize, well, okay, I've got to release my kids because really I have no control anymore anyway because they're adults and i got to let them go. And it's it, it's all, it, it's a, you know, we surrender to his lordship, but it seems like we always have a, a an ace in our sleeve where we still have yet to play that card and say, okay, no, yeah. Lord, I need to, I need to give you that. Hey, Steve, so why, why do so much, why do as many as 70% of, of change efforts fail? Why, why do they fail? I think the number one reason, again, I'm going back to John Cotter. I, I would challenge your, your listeners if they haven't read Leading Change or The Heart of Change by Dr. John Cotter. Not Christian books, but let me tell you, workplace concept, they are right on target for, for cultural change, corporate cultural change, whether it's in the church or, or in the for-profit workplace. The, the first failure, the, the greatest failure, is that we fail to establish urgency. That's the first step on Cotter's deal. And I will tell you, I, I did a dissertation several years back when I was uh, young and still had white hair, as a matter of fact. I did a dissertation. <laughs> you got hair. Stop bragging about having hair. Come on. No, that's exactly right. I had, a lot, I had a lot of white hair. I, I did a dissertation that paralleled Cotter's changes, Cotter's process, with the book of Nehemiah. And I'm going to tell you, 
I know that Cotter did not follow Nehemiah in his in working out his steps because I asked the man. But um, you'd be amazed at, at how similar the processes are. And the first thing Nehemiah did and the first thing Cotter says is... All right, so you're about ready to say... You're about ready to get, start giving away clues, and I had to just stop because we wanted to you know, keep people listening. You know, the, let's just talk about the steps that, that Dr. John Cotter uh, li, uh, listed out in his book, Leading Change. Because one of the things we want to do is we want to list through these things in order to help lead change effectively. But then I want to help people identify what are some of the things that help them identify when they're failing. Because what's really obvious is that everybody gets excited about change at the beginning, but to follow through that change all the way to the bottom of the organization to complete the effort to make sure that it sticks, it takes a lot of uh, just discipline, I think. Yeah, but but yeah, you got some specific cool. steps that you wanted to highlight today. So let's let's list these steps out and let's dig into them. All right. Let, let me list Cotter's steps real quickly, and then we'll come back and review them as time allows. First, first step is increase urgency. You have to establish urgency. Why do we need to change? Second step, build the right team. Third step, get the vision right. Uh, fourth step, communicate for buy-in. Uh, fifth step, empower action. Sixth step, create short-term wins. That just kind of solidifies that we're moving here. Uh, seventh step, don't let up. You've you got to keep pushing, keep driving, even when the wind's in your face. And the last step, make change stick. So there's the eight-step process. First step, most critical step. The one that gets the the, the the very first misstep frequently is increased urgency. All right, so let's describe that for the audience today as we're trying to, and again, as you're listening today to the show, understand that these steps to leading change, as Steve just went through them, increase urgency, build the right team, get the vision right, communicate for buy-in, empower action, create short-term wins, don't let up, make change stick. All of these things apply to so many different places in our lives. So, Steve, when we try to increase urgency, what do you mean? Okay, let, first, uh, let me. I'm going to go a step further, uh, step forward. I'm going to jump, leapfrog a step, and then I'm going to back up. If we have properly put urgency in place, Jim, then what we find out is that we'll have ambassadors that have buy into the program. Now we're not fighting this battle alone. So, increase urgency. Why do we need to change? Uh, do we need to change because we're in trouble, or do we need to change to avoid trouble? I mean, but but why do we need to change? If I have properly sold the urgency, then I will have people that buy into what we're needing to do. And, and again, now I've got a team. Now I've got a partnership, whether it's my spouse, whether it's my business partners, whoever it might be. I just had meetings today over at Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina, about some changes in the MBA program. And I've got two ambassadors there in that program. So my, pardon the expression, but my sales job is done because they know the urgency. They've got to do this or they will become a second-tier, third-tier MBA program. You with me there? I'm with you. I'm listening. I'm, I'm writing okay. all these notes down because I want to make sure I get this done right. All right. So, all right. Well, so you, while you're writing the notes, let me go to Nehemiah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Quickly, right? You're, you all know, right. If we're going to drag the Bible into this, let, let's, let's be biblical. Well, and let's just stop there for a second. You bring up Nehemiah, and, and in the last several years, I've done a tremendous amount of research on incredible organizations 
that are helping equip Christ followers to bring their faith into the workplace. And the Nehemiah Project, which is a website, the NehemiahProject.org, a fantastic organization. I actually have the founder of that organization coming on the air next month. But wow, they are doing such a great job working specifically with entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurial, just equipping entrepreneurs to with their faith to connect to what they're doing each and every day. But the NehemiahProject.org. Yeah, take a look at that. Great, great organization. Chapter one of Nehemiah, from the very beginning, he starts paralleling Cotter's eight steps. And here, here's what. Wait a minute. No, I mean, Cotter is paralleling Nehemiah's steps. Yeah, sorry about Let's that. Let's get that right, because Cotter came like uh, yeah. 2,000, yeah, 3,000 years yeah. later. Yeah, well, Nehemiah predated Cotter by a little bit. Uh, chapter one, verse two says Then uh, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came with a certain man from Judah, Judah being the home of the Jews, right? And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. You hear that? There's urgency there. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates were destroyed by fire. There's urgency that's been established in Nehemiah already as a leader. Now he sees the urgency. Then he goes uh, in the last part of chapter 2, and it says, Then I said to them, now now he's over in in Jerusalem. He's made the trek to Jerusalem. He's got a little funding, you know, so you always have to get funding, right? Uh, He's got his funding. He's over in Jerusalem. He's been walking the wall. And he comes back and says, Then I said to them, Do you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem is lying in ruins and its gates are burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Now, that's short and sweet, but Nehemiah is telling his people, we're in deep trouble. If we don't rebuild these walls, we will cease to exist. Mm. And and it was, and he had, you know, Nehemiah was the wine taster to the king. To the emperor, yep. basically, and, and he had a, and he had never been to Jerusalem prior to that, right? I mean, right. He, he just he had been been raised in that environment, and for him to have such a love, and, and really at that point in time, Jerusalem had been all the walls were were busted down, and they were the emperor at that point in time was trying to integrate all societies together and to wipe out the individuality of the Jews, which is what God had designed for them to be individual. Exactly. So, so Nehemiah created that urgency. And then he had to say, okay, listen, i got to build the right team because I've got to rebuild these walls. And he did it very, very quickly with a lot of adversity. Exactly, because he got the vision right. Well, first, let's build the right team. He built the right team. He got representative from all the, all the families there, all the tribes there, all the sections of the city there. And, that's the, and, and if you read Nehemiah, you'll see how that breaks down in more detail. Uh, he gets the vision right because he tells them what Jerusalem is supposed to look like at the end. You know, we, we refer to that as the Holy Land, Jim. It's always been the Holy Land. Right. You know? well, me, so so I, even though he didn't grow up there, he knew this is our land. This is our city. Wait, i, I got to step you back for a second, though. Okay, but then building the right team, let's take that to the workplace. When you're, I mean, Nehemiah, he, didn't, he, he got to choose people who were passionate about his vision, that, yep. Those are the people that he built onto his team. But in the workplace, how do you know who are the right people to be on your team and who are not the right people to have in your leadership team? And by the way, are you sitting in your back porch looking at the mountains while we're talking today? 
No, I'm sitting in my office looking out the window at the mountains. Oh, it's nice. Okay, so as we're down here sweltering and, you know, yeah, <laughs> you're looking at the mountains. It's very, very nice. Okay, I just, I just want to give everybody the picture that he's suffering while he's talking on the radio today to me. I uh, am suffering. It's killing me. It's about 76 degrees here. Oh, sure. man. Sure. Well, we'll so get look, to see. I, I, I'm glad you backed me up on that right team because that's critical there. Sometimes we think that the right team is the executive team or the senior leadership team. Not at all. The right team must be ambassadors, if you will, of, of the various areas so that we can ensure that we get uh, buy-in, total buy-in, from some of the most influential people in our organization for the entire organization. And those influential people may, may not be the senior leaders all the time. Right. And so you're not trying to do top-down change. You're trying to infiltrate change at all levels at the same time. It's a different it, approach. Exactly. Exactly, but but here's something that's critical. My right team must be ambassadors. I've got to have buy-in from that from that team. Where we fail frequently is we build a team out of our executive team, our C-suite team, our senior leadership team, or, or whatever you might want to call it in your organization. We don't exactly have total buy-in from that team, and then we move forward and we can't understand why we're pushing the rock uphill. Well. You're pushing the rock uphill because your team doesn't have the same passion that you do. Yeah, so I like to describe it even better. The rock uphill is a good one, but we live in most people live in Florida here in Tampa Bay. They don't know what hills are. So they I was talking about put, pushing mud uphill in a rainstorm because we can all relate to rain and mud here in Tampa. Exactly. All right, exactly. so increase the urgency, build the right team, get the vision right, and then communicate for buy-in. Why is this communication such a key? And that seems like a dumb question, but we, we all know communication is important, but communicate for buy-in. What do you mean? You know, you made a great statement. We all know communication is important. I think the vast majority of us don't fully appreciate the level of importance of communication because there is a tendency to communicate one time and let it go. In in our organization, we we train what we call cascading communication. That is, when we're working with an organization that's going through change, we find multiple – types of communication, multiple layers of communication, and then we repeat, repeat, repeat so that we make sure everybody, everybody is on the same page all the time and that they stay on the same page because there's this elastic uh, elastic hysteresis that says as soon as we let the pressure off, they're going to try to return to their old ways. Right, and that's really the key is is that we're trying – we're not just – implement we're not just saying okay we're going to change and then you guys take care of this you have to push it and you have to push it and you have to push it and reinforce and reinforce it so the first four steps in leading change your organization increase urgency build the right team get the vision right and we kind of we didn't get that in total detail but also communicate for buy-in all right we're talking today about leading change and we have author speaker and leadership expert dr steve steff in the studio with me today well he's in the studio on the line looking at the mountains out his back window at his condo in boone north carolina so glad to have you with us today dr Steph. Hey, Jim, I'm sorry. I, I was busy closing the windows, getting a little chilly in here. Oh, man, just brutal. Absolutely brutal. All right, listen, we're talking about leading change, and this is something a lot of people don't think that there's – they don't think about the fact that there's so many steps necessary for us to effectively lead change in our organizations, and whether that is in our home or whether it's in our small business, our medium business, our large business, our churches, change is difficult. Everybody knows that change needs to happen, and almost everybody is resistant to change because it, it involves – it just involves – well, it involves change. That, that, and I, I could write a book on that just because it involves change. But there's a lot of great books on change. I, one of my favorites was Who Moved My Cheese? 
Who moved? Who moved my teeth? Who, yeah. yeah, great book. Very good book on change. And there's now a cute little video. Actually, it's not very cute. Okay, but Who Moved My Cheese is a great one if you ever want to help your people move through that. But we talked in the last segment about increased urgency. And in fact, if you're tuning in right now, you're just now tuning in, you have missed an awful lot. You need to go back and listen to the archive, which will be available a little bit later today. Out there on our website, iworkforhim.com. So number one step, increase urgency. Just let people know why it's so important we need to make change. Build the right team. Surround yourself with believers in the in, in the vision, people that will become ambassadors for the change. Right. Get the vision right. And then communicate for buy-in at all levels at the same time. Permeate your organization at all levels at the same time. We kind of skipped over get the vision right, and we only have you know, 12 minutes left to hit everything. But just how do you know whether you get the vision right or not? Because it's one thing to say, well, I know, I think this is what we need to change, but how do you know that you got it right? I mean, that that's a, just such an interesting question because we really need to identify really early in the game exactly what do we want to look like. And there's a reason to use the word vision. What do we want to look like when this is done? So when the game is over. We have, once, yeah, when the game is over, when, when we cross the finish line, once we have identified clearly, see all those vision words? Once we have clearly identified what we want to look like when when the whole thing is done, it's so much easier to keep moving that direction because if we have clearly identified the vision, again, vision words, and we've established the urgency, the vision really looks inviting. Okay, so we've got those steps. Let's move on to the next step. Okay, so you got increased urgency. Build the right team. Surround yourself with those great ambassadors that believe in your vision. Get the vision right with the end game. Begin with the end in mind, really. And then communicate for buy-in at all levels of the organization with those ambassadors. Make sure you choose your right team from all different levels of the organization. And again, this is whether you're doing it in your church or in your home or in your business. These things all apply there. But then you say... Next step, John Cotter. I know these are from John Cotter's book, Leading Change. Um, empower action. What does that mean, empower? That's one of those words where I think it's been heavily abused, empower. Empower has been heavily abused and misused. Look at Chapter 3 of, of Nehemiah. We keep going back to Nehemiah. In Chapter 3 of Nehemiah, you'll see where Nehemiah assigned sections of the wall. He didn't get the whole team together and say, we're going to build this wall. He went to each family, each group, and said, I want you to take care of this piece of the wall. He went to the next family, I want you to take care of this piece of the wall. That was their responsibility. And the neat thing about their responsibility is I've got to believe that if Brangenberg is sitting over here working on his section of the wall and Steph is over here working on his section of the wall and both of us have total autonomy on how we're doing this, and I see that Brangenberg's getting way ahead of me on that wall, I'm going to pick up the pace. <laughs> so so that's the empower action. One is, is, is I have the authority to get things done, and then that ties immediately into creating short-term wins. Uh, staying with the Nehemiah concept, we go to Chapter 4 and move up to uh, – Oh, gosh, I can't remember. It is uh, uh, the exact verse in Chapter 4, but they had this huge meeting because that wall was halfway up. Yeah, they, so were, they, they, kind of took, they all of a sudden got opposition from the community, the people that were not really, they were Jews, but they were kind of fighting against their own brothers. And then people from the outside in the in the, the local government said, hey, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? They're actually succeeding at doing this. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. And they had a short-term win, and all of a sudden they're getting opposition. Sandballot shows up with the bad guys, and, and look, there's always going to be opposition to change. Always, and a lot of times there's going to be opposition to change, Jim, by very good people. But we just resist change. We've always done it this way, you know. Uh, that's not the way we, we've always done it. I've heard that countless times. 
Chapter 4, verse 6 says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But then Sanballat and Tobiah and all the others show up, and they say, No, 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 we can't do it. This. We can't do this. Know that that's why it, uh, down there on, on uh, number 7 where it says, Don't let up. That's why that has to be in there, because you're going to get opposition, and you're going to get opposition from good people, maybe even from from good-minded people well, that okay. just still haven't caught the vision yet. I, I, and I think that we need, to, we need to stop on that point. The short-term wins, okay, just show, hey, we, we've succeeded at getting some change implemented in the organization, but this opposition... That's sometimes maybe easier to take within a, a, a business organization where not everybody's a Christ follower. But boy, if you're working within a church organization or a Christian oh, nonprofit, yeah. when you start to get opposition, you're like, wait a minute, I'm trying to do something good here. I really believe the Lord is leading me to do this. And I'm getting opposition from fellow Christ followers. That's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a tough pill to swallow. It's a really tough pill because sometimes, well, they're a tool of Satan if they're not following me. You know, some, some people. <laughs> but that's are, not always true. That's, that's not, not always true. Sometimes, I mean, I have seen opposition from people that just didn't believe that that was the direction God would have us go. And you know, Jim, sometimes they were right, but often they just had not yet caught the vision because they were resistant to the change. They couldn't yet see it. That's why, here's, here's what I want everybody to hear, including you and me, on all of these eight steps. You, you have to, you don't, they don't go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They go over and over and over. So you have to keep selling that vision, that urgency. You have to, you have to keep supporting that right team. You have to continually get the vision right. You have to continually do the cascading communication because it's over and over and over. People will lose the vision if you're not careful. So really what you're saying is, you know, don't let up. When you get when you face this opposition, you're saying when you face the opposition, then you, you start stepping back to some of those other points and you use your ambassadors to your benefit. You, you re-communicate the vision for buy-in. You, 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 you go back to some of those previous steps to help you build this up because this is a, not just like you said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then you're done, eight and out. It's one, two, three, Three, four, five, four, five, two, four, three, five, six, exactly. seven, eight. I mean, back and forth, because your number eight point is make change stick, and the only way to do that repetition is the key to getting change done. Absolutely. When you when you read chapter four of Nehemiah and you reread it, and you reread it. Some of the very people that were in there working on the wall and giving it, they're all started to quit because they got tired. You know, and and building a wall takes a lot of time. And do you think we can really finish it? And do we have to finish it? We were doing okay before, you know. So, so you just have to continually repeat these steps and repeat them and repeat them. I, I had a meeting very quickly. I had a meeting again with two leaders this morning, and we were talking about the tendency in leadership for people, successful leaders, to say, the way I've been doing it got me where I am today. And I would tell you, Jim, and we need to do a podcast on this, that the, what what they should be saying is, I got where I am today in spite of the way I've been doing it. <laughs> yeah, but that takes a real humble leader to admit that. Well, in yeah, spite but, of but, me, I, we still accomplish these things. And really, yeah. a true Christ-following leader is going to be able to admit that because none of us are perfect. We, and we all recognize that we serve a perfect Savior, but the rest of us are just mess-ups. You know, yeah, exactly. it, it, And so it's so important. All right, so we get to this. We start making change stick. I, what I want to talk about is give me some example. Can you give one example of where you helped uh, an organization implement this and it worked. And then I want you to tell me about an organization where you did this and it failed. And then I want to know why. 
All right. Uh, first organization I did not work with, but I'm going to tell you, they, they are the example that we've already cited multiple times today, and that's Polydex Screen Corporation down in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Th- this organization went from a company, Jim, that the local temp agencies in the Spartanburg, Greenville area would not send temporary workers out there because temp, the temp workers wouldn't go. They wouldn't stay because of the way they were treated. This organization changed in a matter of months, at least the, at least the foundation was in, in place in a matter of months, to where they are now the employer of choice globally because of their change. And they followed these steps exactly. And the first one was the, the increase the urgency. We must, we have to. And, and in this case, it required the CEO, the owner, because it's a, it's a private organization, standing up in front of a town hall meeting and apologizing for the way. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but in this case. Well, it was necessary in this case. In this case, it was necessary, apologizing for the way that he had treated people and assuring them that it would never, not, not that we're going to do better. That is what he said. It will never happen again. Well, and I think what's important about that is if you're a Christ-following leader and you, none of us are ever perfect, and there's nothing that speaks more loudly about your allegiance to your people than when you can admit when you've made a mistake. And to do that corporately so they can understand, hey, I'm being transparent, I've just messed up. And, yep. Yep. and I and I apologize, and I ask your forgiveness. I mean, that speaks so loudly to people of be, be able to do that. All right, so that's a success story. Polydex screening. We're not talking about people that build backyard back porches with screening. We're talking about people who work in monster gravel pits around the yep. world, screening yep. aggregate to multiple different levels and sizes. A very right. intense industry working with very rough and gruff people at times, and it, and they have right. succeeded in really spreading the gospel across the globe. This, the largest the largest customer for this organization is a Muslim company in Indonesia. Fantastic. Uh, uh, the, this company works with mines. It's screen media that's used in the mining and all sorts of mining, from coal mining to salt mining to gold mining to whatever. So, so that's who they're And the largest customer they have is a Muslim company. That's their testimony. Go ahead. I need to get you to your, the, the failing example. Somebody that tried to lead change and it didn't work. A uh, failing example would be the uh, organization that I used in my dissertation uh, several years back. They had a, a huge building supply company, the largest building supply company in the nation, uh, merging with the largest plumbing supply company in the nation. They didn't follow the steps. They never established urgency. The, the final paragraph of my dissertation says the effort was a failure, and uh, they, they never did merge. They fell apart completely. Did it actually destroy both companies, or did, were, able to, were they able to recover? The Both companies recovered separately, so they stopped the merger. Uh, the other organization that you're very, very familiar with, you and I have discussed before, is Franklin Covey, and uh, tell me the other one. Uh, uh, well, Steve, uh, Covey and uh, the, not the Palm Pilot guy, uh, not – uh, oh, gee, I can't believe. Sorry, can't, what? can't think. You're not supposed to do that to me. I'm on the air. I can't think of that. It was yeah. uh, two uh, the daytimers. A daytimer. Yes, yes, yes. And and those two wonderful organizations, solid spiritual leadership organizations. They went together and they were tried to merge two different cultures, both very good cultures, you know, 
but they didn't go through all the the corporate cultural change steps, and it was a failure. Steve, we've we've labeled out, listed out eight steps, and really quickly, increase urgency, build the right team, get the vision right, communicate for buy-in, empower action, create short-term wins, don't let up, and make change stick. And you use Nehemiah as the example in all of this. In one minute or less, can you tell me how can we do this in our homes? Give me an example of how this would apply in our home. You know, I, I think the first thing in our home is we this may be a little bit inside out, but it's that communication. We've got to communicate, which that goes to the established urgency. We need to determine that, that we need to change. If we don't change the way we're doing things, it, it's either going to get worse or it's not going to get it's not going to get better. So establish urgency. Let's do this. Let's let's start leading a God honoring life, a God honoring marriage, God honoring family, and then obviously the team is already in place, right? Uh, but now we're going to add a member to the team that'd be the Holy Spirit. So uh, my wife, myself, and the Holy Spirit are the God honoring team night to get the vision right. What do we want to look like at the end of the day as a family, as, as a family unit, as a God honoring family unit? Many, many families, many Christian families, Jim, have not clearly identified what a God honoring. Christian families should look like. No, they haven't. And Steve, I want to thank you for your time today. You can find out more about Steve Steph on tleadership.com. That's tleadership.com. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.